Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is time for Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk, the fastest hour in radio, unless you're me. So we've got a <laughs> panel today, which is the pastors, Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be with you, Good Bill. Good to be here, Bill. Yeah. So my promo yesterday for a Guy Talk was to the Greeks and to the barbarians. So which ones are you? Greeks or barbarians? I'm German. That would be barbarian. I'm too much German, too. So yeah, mm-hmm. we're in the barbarian class. I'm sorry couple of barbarians, so that's going to be good. Yes, so sir. let me know what your questions are. You can send them over via text to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Whatever question you have for uh, pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish, let us know what it is. Gentlemen, let's jump into uh, Jeremiah 17.9 and the meaning of the heart is deceitful above all things. Mm-hmm. I mean, is, is the heart a melting pot of what has gone in it, or is it, uh, for an unregenerated person, just something so much worse? The reality is, as David pointed out, that he was sinful from the time he was conceived in his mother's womb. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, everybody's infected. Jeremiah picked up on that and said, yeah, it's, it's there from the day I was conceived. And it is a natural part of who I am. The joy of for Jeremiah with Yahweh in the Old Testament and the covenant and but the joy for us today in the knowing the Lord Jesus Christ is that he offers us a way out of that he offers us power so that the inner drive doesn't control us now it's a conscious choice you know and I learned a long time ago that I have to love people and forgive people not because they deserve it not because they ask for it but because I'm thankful to Jesus for what he's done for me so Jeremiah right on the money he knows what he's talking about and it's good stuff that's awesome. And I believe in something called the total depravity of man. That doesn't mean that we're as evil as we possibly can be, but it means totally everything has been infected by the sin that I inherited from Adam and Eve, not just my thoughts, my will, my emotions, everything. And uh, talking about the depravity of the human heart, when somebody says, oh, but Tom, God knows your heart. My response is, I know that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's never been a comfort when people tell me that. And, but Tom just referenced Jeremiah that said, God says, I will take out of you a heart of flesh, and I will give you a new heart. Uh, excuse me. I'll take out of you the heart of stone, and I will mm-hmm. give you a heart of flesh, a new heart. And I think what happens in the Christian life, we're born with this evil heart, and then God gives us a new heart. And then we fight the rest of our lives to say no to the old heart and yes to the new heart. Part of the Mm -hmm. problem is because we're not an Adolf Hitler. We're not behaved that way or a Mussolini or, you know, Idi Amin. We look at evil as those kind of people. And and the movies, you know, they have all kind of really wicked, evil people carrying horrible things around, hurting people. Not understanding that deep within my heart and your heart, the same evil exists, Mm -hmm. you know, but most of us don't go that far with it. We don't take it that far. But that still doesn't mean I don't think bad thoughts about you, that I don't sometimes get angry at you and wish you weren't here anymore. Mm -hmm. That's human nature. So that's why we keep turning to Jesus 
so that we can genuinely love people for who they truly are because Jesus loves us. And you know what? Mm-hmm. I lo- I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and here I am up in Minneapolis. And what I like to do to explain what you just said is uh, I'm going to jump from where I'm at to Omaha. And let's say I, I muster all my energy and I jump 10 feet. And then you muster up all your energy, you jump 11 feet. For you to turn around and say, nya, nya, I'm closer than you are, is ridiculous because both of us fall so far short of the goal. And that's the point I think you're making. Yeah, Hitler yep. was, I'm, 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 babe, I'm better than Hitler, but I'm yeah. so far short, I'll go to hell without the blood exactly. of Christ. Yeah. Exactly. I'm just glad I beat you by a foot, Tom. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's a victory I'll take. All right, let's jump, in, let's jump into Matthew chapter 7, and now they're casting out demons and healing the sick in the name of Jesus. But Jesus said, away from me, I never knew you. So if these were not his followers, his true followers, how did they have this power? Well, I think God can use anybody to do his. I mean, when I was thinking of being a pastor at age 21, I went to my pastor. I said, I'm thinking of being a pastor, but, you know, I'm I'm kind of a mess. Uh, I mean, and the past, and the, my pastor said, if God can speak through Balaam's donkey, he can speak through you. And I think that's what's going on there. God can use unbelievers to do his miracles. It doesn't mean they're filled with the Holy Spirit in the way Christians are. But, you know, uh, God can use unbelievers to do all kinds of wonderful things. And there's an example of... of People and, and it's also possible they're talking about people that uh, fell away and and therefore they're condemned at the at the last day. But originally they were following the Lord. Well, the Bible says in the Old Testament that the Lord is no respecter of men or of people, and it doesn't matter who you are. You don't have a special favor with Him because you're a nicer person than the next one. So the reality is, He can use uh, a King Saul. He can use a King David. He can use anybody He wants, and at times He does that. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is pointing out the contrast here, that although the Lord will, can use people that are unbelievers or not where they should be to produce miracles, and, and that does happen, Jesus says, if you really want the miracle, I need to be along with it, because that's where the real power is. I mean, Bill, I think that's maybe the most sobering verse in the Bible, that, Lord, didn't I do all these miracles in your name, cast out demons mm-hmm. in your name? Depart from me, says Jesus, you workers of lawlessness, I, I never, never knew, knew you. you. Yeah. And so here you can be a pastor, you can do miracles, you can cast demons out and still be lost on the last day. And why? According to that verse, because they didn't know Jesus, really, and they were workers of lawlessness. They had never, not that they, not that were perfect, but these guys had never turned from their sin, never confessed and, and uh, followed Christ. So that's quite a verse. I think one of the problems I see in Christianity, Bill, and I worry about this, uh, I've been to a lot of different churches. I hear a lot of preaching, and, and it's all, you know, God loves you, be a good person, take care of your neighbor. You know, it's all the kind of stuff these people were talking about who didn't know Jesus. The, the goal is to know Jesus. That's the doorway and the power for what really the Lord, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit want. The problem is there's very little emphasis on that today among Protestants, and that's a shame because he is the Savior. It is his blood that cleanses us. And my goal, and I try to teach people to do this, it doesn't matter how well you've memorized the Bible. It doesn't matter how many, you know, if you've memorized the catechism. You need to know Jesus. And when you know him, guess what? Your thinking changes, your behavior changes, your attitude changes. And that's what we're really after, to become like him 
because we know him. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. What about uh, dispensationalism, and is it biblical? Dispensationalism, as we understand it, uh, didn't really come along until about 1830. Historically, there's not anything before that that we can really trace down that teaches dispensationalism. So the Schofield Bible, when it came out, there are, you know, there are lots of other people that got into it. And uh, the struggle is it's relatively new historically. It's very hard to, to verify in its detail. There are realities there, and everything is backed up with some form of Scripture. It's just how does it fit together so that we understand it properly and not misuse it or run in the wrong direction. And, and let's explain what it is. Yeah, I, that's I a mean, great idea. Yeah, I mean, for instance, I think almost everybody would say there's the Old Testament dispensation and then there's the New Testament dispensation, you know, mm-hmm. that there's God different deal differently with the two groups. Uh, what Tom is referring to is the belief that Christians are raptured and disappear from the planet seven years before Christ comes back. So the dispensationalism in American Christianity normally means that we're here on earth, uh, the great tribulation starts and Christians vanish into heaven for seven years, and then they come back with Christ at the second coming. Again, I think if you look at it, there was a woman that had a vision in New England in mm-hmm. about 1830, mm-hmm. and that's when this belief that, you know, all, overwhelmingly before 1830, all the Christians believed we're on earth until the second coming. We don't vanish seven years before the second coming. So I... Uh, a lot of I'm sure a lot of our listeners believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. I don't doubt their faith. I think they're going to heaven. Sure. But sometimes I get letters from people who find out I don't believe in that, and it's kind of like it's the doctrine of the Trinity. It's so important to them. No, it isn't. It's not an important doctrine. Look how wrong we got the first coming of Christ. I think we got to be careful. We're not too dogmatic about the second coming. And I, when I do conferences, I have people ask me about this repeatedly, and uh, they they will say I'm a premillennialist, you know, and, and, you know, what are you and that type of thing. And I have to ask them, which one of the premillennialists are you? Because there are about 10 or 12 different groups out there, and each have a different point of view, and each have a different theology, and each have a different philosophy. And my goal in these conferences, and my goal in teaching the Word of God is, like we said earlier, that may all be accurate, and I believe we're going to meet the Lord in the air, as it says in the Thessalonians. I have no doubt about that. But if I don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter what I know about the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great point. That's what I love about Guy Talk is we can uh, all come together and share perspectives, and we can differ, and we can always love each other, and that's Kumbaya. the beautiful thing of God Talk. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Kumbaya. Tom singing, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know. I, I'm, I'm trying to help. All right, let me know what your questions are, 877 Try that one more time, 877-933-2484. we got some great questions coming in. This is Guy Talker, Guys Who Talk. Pastor Tom Brock and Tom Parrish is the Power Panel today. Be right back.
Can't start until the horns. There they are. I'm cutting a new ad that says four out of five listeners love guy talk. And there's a lot of very fast. Then there's, then there's, then there's a lot of very fast talking disclaimers at the end. So <laughs> welcome back to the show. So glad that you can uh, be with me today. Uh, Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish are my power panel. Let me know what questions you might have for them. 877-933-2484. I'll give you that one more time. 877-933-2484. All right, gentlemen, what does Eastern Orthodox Christianity, how does Eastern Orthodox Christianity differ from the Christianity we know in the West? What caused the split and when? It's a big question, I know. Um. Eastern Orthodox is very close to Catholics, but I have learned there's some real animosity between oh. Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox. But just so what's the difference? Um, they uh, uh, actually, they totally immersed infants when they baptize them. That's not a big deal, but they, they do that. They actually give Holy Communion to infants. Mm-hmm. The Orthodox Church, uh, I'm this is my humble opinion, do they have a clear understanding we're saved by grace alone and not by our good works? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about that. They're, they're very close to Roman Catholicism, and so they would hold to, uh, although they do not believe technically in purgatory, uh, they call Mary the uh, Theotokos, which means God-bearer. And, but, you know, Lutherans believe Mary is the mother of God in the sense that Jesus was born of her and Jesus is God. So I can say, in, a, in one sense, Mary is the mother of God. So uh, it's just, it's, it's a very formal religion. What caused the break back in, what was it, 800 or so A.D.? And then, then there was a second break as well. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox like icons, pictures of the saints, and they would kind of pray to the... Through the, however you want to nicely put it, they would they would use the icons to pray to saints and stuff, and and the uh, the Catholic Church back then thought that was too idolatrous, so that caused and it's called iconoclasts, something like that. When I was in Moscow many years ago, I, my wife and I were there teaching. We spent week, three weeks in Moscow. We went to several Eastern Orthodox churches or Russian Orthodox, very similar. I could not get over all the icons. I know. It really blew me away. They were all over the place. And I talked to the, the some of the priests there. I talked to some of the people, and I said, are you praying to the icon? Oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're praying. We're venerating the icon. We're praying through the icon. But they really couldn't explain to me the difference on mm-hmm. that. So it's it's kind of you got different mindsets of how this is done in the world. And so when, when the church split, you had the Pope in Rome, and you had Constantinople. So you had the division of the church. And, of course, Constantinople today is Istanbul because it was taken over by the Muslims or Islam. But the Eastern Orthodox Church is still very strong over in those countries like Russia and Czechoslovakia and elsewhere. And I, too, was on a mission trip in in Moscow, and I walked into the big Orthodox cathedral outside of town, actually. And, you know, here, here was an elderly woman in front of an icon, just kind of bowing to it, making the sign of cross about eight times in front of the icon. And I'm not saying she's not saved, and but, you know, because if you were to ask her, I bet, do you believe Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead? I bet she'd say, yeah, of course I do. But this is the kind of strangeness that I think obscures the gospel. Mm-hmm. First of all, I don't know of anything in Scripture that tells us to pray to saints 
we are to pray to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and now, on the other side, Catholics would say, well, I ask you to pray for my mother who's sick. Why can't I ask the Virgin Mary to pray? Well, because we're never told to pray to the saints. But here's the difference, and here's where the problem comes in. Protestants, after the Reformation, said, solo scriptura. We only take our doctrine, our teachings from the Scripture, where Roman Catholicism and Eastern had holy tradition. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes as valid. Mm-hmm. And so talking about Mary and her role, talking about the saints, talking about praying to, you know, Michael and those kind of things, in their tradition, that's as valid as the Scriptures. Yeah. That's why we're Protestants. Yeah, and, you know, the thing, too, about Luther, Luther wasn't against church tradition per se. He was, because I'm a Lutheran, yesterday we had Ash Wednesday. We we uphold, you know, you don't have to have Lent to make you a Christian, but mm-hmm. Christians have been doing it for thousands, uh, almost, well, well, they've been doing it for centuries. Uh, nothing's wrong with church tradition. Mm-hmm. Luther rejected tradition when it violated Scripture. Right. And we're talking things like indulgences, purgatory, praying to the saints, uh, this kind of thing. Well, and his goal was simple. He didn't want to get everybody's eyes off of Jesus mm-hmm. onto all these other things. Because on the day of judgment, we will literally be, if Jesus is not our advocate, yep. we're lost. And, and the Scripture says he is. And Tom's a Lutheran pastor, so am I. Believe me, we know Luther had issues. He, oh, he said he horrible things about the Jews. He could be just a real hothead. Uh, he called the Pope the Antichrist, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not saying I follow Luther too much, but he got the, he got the basics right that we're saved by grace, and it's only through Christ we're saved. Right. Yeah, everyone is flawed for yes. sure. Mm-hmm. All right, here's a question. I'd like to ask the pastor to, pastors to discuss their thoughts on the American in the American gospel. It always seems to focus on God's love and grace, but rarely talks about His incredible holiness and judgment to come. Uh, on non-believers. Tom, I'll let you go first. Well, I am preaching at my old home church, Hope Lutheran, this Sunday, and the name of the sermon is Where to Flee from the Wrath of God. And I'm going to preach on Romans 1, where in Romans chapter 1, Paul condemns all the non-Jews, the Gentiles, for worshiping idols. They're going to hell. Chapter 2, the Apostle Paul then goes after the Jews, and he was a Jew, and he said, well, we had the Ten Commandments. Yeah, but we broke them, so all the Jews are under the wrath of God. So that in chapter 3, he can bring in Jesus, death on the cross, the propitiation for our sins. A propitiation means to turn away wrath by the offering of a gift. When Christ offered himself on the cross to pay for our sins, that is what turns away God's wrath. When is the last time you heard about the wrath of God in your in your personal church. Maybe you have. I hope you've got a good preacher. But Paul takes two chapters, actually yeah. two and a half, because the first chap- half, read the first half of Romans 3. It's a very dark picture about mankind's sin and God's wrath. Yes. I'm preaching on Matthew 6 this week, uh, the Lord's Prayer. But I point out that too often we pray the Lord's Prayer without looking at what comes after it, because it's 14 and 15. Jesus says here, you know, if you forgive the sins of others, your heavenly Father will, and really in the Greek it means continue to forgive you. But if you do not forgive the sins of others, your heavenly Father will no longer forgive you. We have created a Christianity that's comfortable. Mm-hmm. We love the grace. We love, And it's true, the grace is real. But at the same time, there's also the wrath of God. And I remember one pastor telling me a long time ago, he said, Tom, on the day of judgment, you want to meet the Jesus who loves you and you have surrendered to 
you don't want to meet the one that you have ridiculed and ignored because they are both one and the same. And one's a warrior, and the other one is truly the shepherd. And, Tom, you wrote a book called The Jesus of Your Imagination. I did. And that's the problem. We have, when somebody says, my loving Jesus would never send anyone to hell, my response is, well, have you heard what he says in in the Gospels? Depart from me, uh, you wicked, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, there's Jesus saying he's sending people to hell. Well, my loving Jesus wouldn't do it. And I'm saying, okay, what, what version of the Bible, what version of Jesus have you invented so you can feel good? Yeah, imaginary Jesus for a lot of people. And the problem is that doesn't solve the real problem. The real problem, you never want, you never want to mess with Jesus. You want to be sincere. You want to bow to him. You want to take him seriously. If we don't do that, then that whole thing of grace is a misunderstanding because the grace comes through the blood of Jesus not that there isn't wrath from, mm-hmm. you know, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Bill, go ahead, Bill. I just was yeah. going to add one more thing, but that's oh, okay. Oh, go ahead, Tom. Well, no, go ahead. Talk, this is, uh, we're saved by grace alone. Hallelujah. I believe that with all my heart. It's only by Christ's grace and the, his blood on the cross, not by my good deeds. But especially in the Lutheran church, there's something called grace abuse, that because I'm saved by grace, I can live like the devil. And I remember years ago when I heard a Lutheran hospital in Portland was performing abortions. I I wrote the bishop and I said, how can a Lutheran hospital perform abortions? He wrote me back, we can do this because the Lutheran church believes in the grace of God. That is called wow. grace abuse. And what did yeah. Paul say, Romans 6? Shall we continue in sin that grace might ab- abound? May it never be. Yeah. Well, it's sad. I remember one missionary, older missionary, telling me, he said, Tom, when you get to heaven um, and you're saved by the grace of Jesus, you had nothing to do with it. It was all his work. However, if you go to hell, it's all your fault. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> I love that uh-huh. one. Yeah, you're listening to Guy Talk. Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish are my power panel today, and they're doing a fine job, I might add. We are going to take a little break, but when we come back, I want your questions. There's great questions coming in. When we return, we're going to ask the panel about tarot cards with some supporting Scripture verses for that. But we would like you to send your questions over, 877-933-2484. I'll give it to you again, 877-933-2484. And if you have not downloaded the Faith Radio app on your smartphone, now is a good time to do it. We're going to give you a couple of minute break between uh, now and when we return. This is probably give you enough time to go to your app store on your Apple phone or your your Google your Android phone and and go right to faith myfaithradio.com. You can download the app and boy, we have great content there and instant access to the shows. All the podcasts are available. You will be one happy person you did that. So head over to uh, MyFaithRadio.com. You can get it on your app, and you're going to love it. We'll take a short break and be right back.
It is that time of the week where the guys assemble for Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. I'm always glad to have Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish with me today. Uh, Peter Kapsner is out. 007 is on a mission. So there we have it. We've got a great, strong team today. Bring your questions in, 877-933-2484. Got a great uh, um, message from my wingman, Terry. He said, I've heard many great pastors say, if you don't understand the wrath of God, you'll never be able to understand his grace. Great point. Yeah, precisely. And that, uh, that yeah. again, is Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. First, in Romans 1 and 2, Paul puts us all under the wrath of God so that when Jesus saves us in chapter 3, it makes sense that we need to be saved. But if you don't think you're a sinner, you're not under the wrath of God, you don't need Jesus. It's only when you see you're a sinner in trouble, then the cross makes sense. Yeah, awesome. All right, can you share the dangers with the use of tarot cards? Can you share any scripture verses that I could use to explain why this is wrong? Absolutely. Um, And tragically, I have lost friends who have wind up committing suicide because they got into this kind of stuff. I was thinking of Second Chronicles 33, 6, where the, uh, it says, And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnon, and used fortune tellers and omens and sorcery, and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Now, there are passages that get into more detail. The point is, we are never to go trying to gain power over other people or other things through magic, through sorcery, through tarot cards. Tarot cards' design is to tell you about your personality and your future. And the only one that really can do that, according to the Bible, is the Holy Spirit. And, you know, that's what we want to depend on, not on these kind of things. But it's a power, a power thing. And I warn people, stay away from it. it here's the problem. Um, at first, it seems wonderful. Everybody I've talked to has gotten into this. They got their their little power thing on. They got their desires answered. They cast a spell on somebody and something happened. What they don't realize is the very power they're using will turn on them. Mm -hmm. And it turns on them with a vengeance. And I've watched Mm -hmm. it happen. And trying to get people free from that and work with them is not easy because they've taken it so deeply inside. It's a battle. But I can tell you honestly, I've seen people freed by the blood of Jesus. It does happen. There was an awful TV show that Hallelujah is not on anymore called Crossing Over. And they used to have a psychic stand up on stage and then uh, somebody would stand up at the audience and I sense your mother is trying to contact you from the dead. And did your mother have red hair? (gasps) Yes. Uh, Did she have a uh, mole on her left chin? (gasps) Yes. I mean, and, and then now here's the thing. Either the guy is just a shyster or he's tapping in. Sure. To some supernatural demonic knowledge. Remember, the girl in the book of Acts could tell fortune by the power of the demon in her, yep. and Paul had to cast the demon out of her. So she was making money for her slave owners because she was tapping into evil uh, demonic power. So, uh, you know, tarot cards are not in the Old Testament. Ouija boards are not. Those are more modern inventions, but it's still trying to tap into a power that is not from God. Right. So do not dial 9100 psychic. You know, stay away from that stuff. I beg you. I've dealt with this throughout my ministry. I've watched people caught up in this. I've dealt with witches and witchcraft. Stay away from this stuff and pray hard for your friends. Pray hard for those that are caught up in it. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say, and it's a great danger. Plus, there's a psychic studio in Minneapolis that put up a banner that said, we're going out of business. Don't you think they should have seen that one coming? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. 
All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16. It says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. All right, let's just talk about a person who is working 10-hour days, raising a family of four, completely exhausted, morning, noon, and night, uh, doing everything he can. And he, he just says, I don't know if I have fruit in my life. Uh, how do you know? And what do you do if you have no fruit? What would you say to that person? Well, we've defined fruit as starting a new mission, of uh, maybe starting a ministry towards single moms, which is great. I believe in that, and I want that. But if you're like this person you're talking about is working all these hours and whatever, the real fruit that they can display is their character, how they listen to people. I know how they talk to people. I got, It was funny. I, I used to go through McDonald's in the morning and get a Diet Coke for a dollar. And one of the ladies there one day, I asked her, I said, how you doing? She goes, not very well. And I said, well, I'm glad to pray for you. And she gave me this funny look. And I got my Coke and I left. Next day I came in and she just kind of looked at me again. The third day she said, okay, I've got my prayer list. Can you wait a few minutes? <laughs> and we literally prayed at the window. And then every time I would pull up the McDonald's, she would push people out of the way to be able to talk to me because people have needs. The fruit doesn't have to be this big, you know, monstrous, you know, building or ministry or whatever else. It's it's also your character. Mm-hmm. It's your concern for people. It's your willingness to listen to them. It might be part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that this man is so responsible taking care of his family, having a job. Having said that, he shouldn't overdo it. I mean, we are called, it, yeah. it makes sense to observe a Sabbath, whether it's Sunday, Saturday, I think it's built into us that we need a day of rest. And if you're so busy, you're working 10 hours a day. I mean, that's that's asking for heart problems and a nervous breakdown. We, uh, It's good to have a Sabbath rest once a week where you don't work. And I know that this person would have to change their lifestyle. Maybe they couldn't buy as much. But I, I can guarantee you the kids would rather have a full-time dad than a lot of money and a dad that shows up now and then. Of course. What about when you feel like circumstances in your life are so devastating and that you you wonder, God, where are you in all of this? Mm -hmm. And you feel left uh, alone or you don't feel like God is is helping you in a way because I've surrendered my life to him. and, And this is some of the battles and trials I'm going through. What would you say to that person? That's why the Psalms were written. If you go look at the Psalms, the Psalms are not only praising the Lord, but a lot of laments. Where, Where are, you? are you, Lord? Amen. Why aren't you taking care of these evil people? Why are you allowing this to happen? And I think what we've done is we've created a Christianity that says, hey, you really can't argue with the Lord. You really can't yell at him when you don't understand what's going on. I encourage people in your prayers, tell the Lord, I'm mixed up. I don't know why you've allowed this. Why would you do this? But the more that we ask and we're open about that and appropriately share it with others, other Christians, and get into the Word, that's where I see healing begin to come from, and we get a better understanding. Now, when I die, there are things in my life, Bill, I will never fully understand from my Christian perspective. They didn't make sense why they happened when they did. They hurt, and to a degree, they still hurt. However, I know that ultimately, Jesus has the best intention for me, and he's given me a free will, and I just have to to walk in that and know that in the end, Jesus is going to have the final word. And I remember an old pastor saying, when you're down, take out the book of Psalms, pick one psalm and read it out loud. And often you're going to stumble across a psalm that's all about, where are you, Lord? Help, you know. And you know the other thing, that this might sound weird, it helps me not to expect too much out of life. 
this is a fallen universe. I'm not going to be super close to God all, all the time. There are going to be real valleys like Jesus had in the disciples. So just know that's part of the Christian package. Yep. And, and you know, the one thing, Tom, that I would advise you when you're preaching this Sunday, yes. don't start by saying that about your sermon. Oh. Don't expect too much. Ah! <laughs> Ouch, Tom. I've done, you know, I've done those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yesterday uh, was Ash Wednesday, and a listener wants to know the significance of Ash Wednesday. Well, Ash Wednesday starts the 40 days of Lent. The word Lent means spring. And for centuries, Christians have set aside 40 days, starts with Ash Wednesday. They put a little ash on your forehead, and the pastor says, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall shall return. Genesis 3.19. There we go. And so what we do in those 40 days, we turn from our sins, we rededicate our lives to Christ, especially we meditate on the sufferings of Christ for our salvation, so that when Easter comes around and Jesus rises from the dead, we're able to celebrate that with a clear conscience. And we do it every year because, you know, we need it every year. So, and, I, and you know, I know a lot of Baptists don't observe it, and my evangelical friends maybe don't even know what Lent is. It's not in the Bible. You no. don't have to do it. But Christians have been doing it for centuries. I think it's a good practice. So that's what Lent is, or Ash Wednesday is. Mm-hmm. It's a good tradition, um, but it's not the ultimate goal. Whether it is Sunday worship, whether it is midweek Bible study, ultimate goal is to grow closer to the Lord, become more like Him. And whether you celebrate it or not, you still can be a wonderful Christian, and I encourage you to do what you're doing. Yeah, Awesome. All right. Uh, my church group is presenting Jesus, of course, to our youth, our teens. But how can we prepare these uh, young people to face the deception and spiritual darkness that will come after them in the future. Honesty. We don't do enough of that. And when I did, I did an interim at a church a couple of years ago. I had five confirmation students, all girls. So the, you have an opening night where you invite the parents in, you kind of explain what's going on. Then I talked with the parents individually. I said, you have a choice. I can either teach your children just strictly scripture and the catechism or I can show them how the scripture fits with what they're going to face in life, the deceptions, the lies, the people trying to use them. And they said, go for it. What's been fun about that, that's been five years ago now. These girls are now, what, 19, 20 years old? And I just got an email from one the other day that said, thank you. You helped prepare me for a living. We need to be honest and really bring the truth of God's word because let's let's be realistic. At 16 years old, you know, when you're in a car with a boy or a girl and things are a little bit hot and heavy, you can't make good judgments about life. You have to have, before that, an understanding of what the Lord wants for you and why he says that. And I would Google the words um, Worldview Weekend. And this is a, a ministry where uh, teenagers go off for a retreat, and during the retreat, they are equipped with how to respond to what they're going to be attacked about at college. Terrific. So I would Google Worldview Weekend. And you know the other thing, uh, just make sure you're in a good church where the pastor is not sold out the Christian faith on stuff, but is willing to equip your teenager with the truth instead of compromising with the culture. Well, you know, you think about what the Scripture says. What is the role of the shepherd or the pastor teacher? It's to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Somehow we've gotten in our mind that if we perform well at a service, we have our services on Sunday, and maybe our midweek Bible study, we've done our job. Mm -hmm. That is just 
you know, frosting on the cake. What yeah. we really need to do is sit down with small groups of people, do training, talk to them about real issues in their life, real temptations, and how you deal with that and how you are set free from that. And when I hear somebody's going off to college, often I will say, make sure you get into a good Bible study, yep. you know, Navigators and Varsity Campus Crusade. Make sure you're in a good biblical Bible study because your faith will be attacked. That's what got me through four years of college was being in a good Christian fellowship group. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Oh. All right, I love this comment that's come in. This is from uh, someone in the Iowa, uh, state of Iowa, and this is uh, a farmer. I work 10 hours a day, and uh, this is what we do. You know, we farm, and this is a, you know, a very exhausting, well, I'm not using his words. I'm saying this is an exhausting job to being a farmer, and he's providing food for us, and he's also supporting Faith Radio. I mean, this is a beautiful thing. Oh, yeah. But can he take one day off a week? Oh, I'm sure he can. Well, they, okay. I'm sure Most can. farmers I yeah. know do. Okay. You know, they can only go so far. And in farming, Then I won't argue with him. <laughs> but in farming, there is a lot of downtime, too. You know, in the winter and times like yeah. that, it's repairing machinery, whatever. Um, they're not growing at that time in most cases. So, yeah, they can do that. Mm-hmm. A listener also wanted to know what materials you were using, uh, what was being taught to these young kids. That would probably be an interesting question. Hopefully it's just Scripture. It was. It was, and it was with my own. Uh, I, what we would do is we would go into the Scripture, we'd talk about what the Scripture said in a pretty open discussion, and then I'd start giving them real-life scenarios. Okay, so you're out with your friends, and somebody brings a drug and says, we can have an even better party if you take this drug. How does this Word of God fit in with your thinking and about what Jesus has created you for? And I really pushed identity and purpose. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. Your purpose is to represent Him. Is this going to help you? Would Jesus recommend you take this, or would He say stay away from it? And for me, the fun was that's what these young women began to actually talk about. And I had their parents for years say, you know, my daughter is incredibly smart about what she's doing. She seems to know what questions to ask, you know, when she's out on a date or when she's doing something with school. So I think it is taking the scriptures and then giving people real-life situations where you've got to apply what God's Word says. And I would mm-hmm. buy I would buy your teenager a book called Evidence That Demands yes. a Verdict yeah, Josh by McDowell. Josh McDowell. Yeah. That, that book really helped me in college when my faith was under attack to see well, look at the archaeology. Look at some of the stuff they've uncovered. There is a Jesus Christ, you know. It's all out mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So it's seven days a week if you deal with livestock. So you are working seven days a week. That is a, a seven day. You're, I have a friend yeah. who is a dairy farmer. <laughs> yeah. It's all right, 365 uh, days a year. But let's, Bill, let's go, to break, let's go to break. But before we do, Tom Parrish, would you pray for all the farmers who are listening? Lord Jesus, we are so blessed with the farmers in this country. We have produce like the world has never seen. We thank you for these farmers. We thank you for their dedication. We thank you for their diligence, and we take it for granted. Forgive us, Lord, and just bless them and watch over their families and help them to know your incredible love, Jesus. In your name, amen. But, Bill, right, keep the but question. Bill yes, Tom Brock. what happened when the cow jumped over the fence? We'll get back to that. Maybe Utter never. destruction, right. Bill. Utter destruction. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. What did you what did we say about our jokes? Remember how we make this pact? We're not gonna tell dumb jokes? All right, we'll be right Ouch. back with more guy talk. I thought that was good.
right, Tom Brock. Someone, someone liked your joke. Oh, <laughs> so you, see, Bill. So you're playing to an audience of one. <laughs> there you go. All right. So uh, here's another interesting question. Do you guys have a list of questions we should ask before joining a church? Here's an, another question about picking a church. I am uh, a Lutheran. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. I preach on this a lot. Somebody has discovered that their denomination church is not a good church, and so they're going to go church shopping. And here's what I tell people to do. After church, let the pastor shake all the hands and then go up last and say, Pastor, I just have a few questions I'm thinking maybe of coming here, but uh, here's just a few questions I want to know what you believe at this church. Do you believe there's a heaven and a hell? Do you believe Jesus is the only way of salvation? Tell me your views about abortion, pornography, homosexuality. Uh, and do you believe in the virgin birth of Christ? Do you believe in the miracles of the Bible? If you good, get good, solid answers, that's a good church. If the okay. pastor says, uh, that's a subject that we're, it's complex issue that I think we're going to have, yeah, then you want to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It's a good word, and I agree. Uh, one of the things I do when I go visit churches, I can't honestly tell you why I started doing this, but I will actually mark down, like on my iPhone, how many times the name of Jesus is brought up in the service beyond the hymns. Does the pastor only talk about God, or does he talk about, you know, the Son of God or God the Son, Jesus, as the only Savior? Because the Bible doesn't say the name of God will save you. It says the name of Jesus will save you, and if that isn't there, I don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Follow-up question to the tarot cards was, does, that, does it also apply to having your palms read or reading tea leaves or something like that? Your thoughts? Well, anytime you're doing anything beyond prayer, seeking power, seeking to know what the future holds, seeking to have uh, some mystery answered for you apart from the Lord, is opening you up to the demonic realm. And the demonic always comes sweetly. Yeah. It comes very nicely. And palm reading, oh, I remember as a kid what a big deal that was. You know, we, when in fourth grade, people were palm reading. And, and even then I thought, there's something wrong with this. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. But I let the cutest girl in the class read my palm, and, and uh, that was okay, I guess. But no, I would tell people, stay away. It's not friendly, and in the end, it'll turn on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. With the fighting in the Ukraine and the potential for this expanding to other countries, what prayer recommendations can the guys give to believers? Well, that's a big, that's I've a big been question. praying on this too, haven't we all, I hope. And yeah. my prayer is that Putin will withdraw and that he'll wake up. And But, you know, look at the history of the world. Sometimes God lets evil people be real evil. We don't know. How, I mean, this could end in nuclear disaster. Who knows? All we can mm-hmm. do is pray and ask God. I mean, this has been an incredible couple of years. Yeah. COVID killing millions all over the world. Now we've got the Ukraine situation. Not impossible. There might be a nuclear bomb. Right. And, you know, what is God doing? Mike, I think God's trying to get our attention. And, you know, with all that's gone on in America with abortion, homosexual marriage, just pornography, we're the producers. I mean, America has become a cesspool. Now we get hit by COVID. We got hit pretty bad in America compared to some countries. Are there any signs of repentance? Are people turning from sin and coming to God? Or do we still have politicians promoting all the bad stuff? I'm concerned that I don't see much repentance in America. I agree. One of the things you can do, and this is the blessing we have with the Internet, 
you can go on the Internet and find out not only Putin's name and his wife's name, but you can find out the names of the proletariat, which work underneath him, or even some of the generals. Or Ukraine, you can find out the names of the people in charge. And then uh, we specifically, some of the people I gather with, we specifically pray their name before the Lord. We bring them before the Lord. And in Putin's case, we pray, Lord, as you, as you knocked Saul off the horse on the road to Damascus and changed his heart, knock Putin off of his horse and change his heart as well and make him a warrior for you, not a warrior against people. So, yeah, you can get very specific with your prayers. I encourage that. And when I pray that way, here's the interesting part. It's not a one-minute you know, global prayer, and then I go on to something else. I can spend a long time doing that because I'm really focusing. And, and, and I think that's a good prayer. I just want to add the caveat that 722 B.C., the king of Assyria is coming after the northern kingdom of Israel to destroy it because of its idolatry. That was God coming in. It was. And then 586 B.C., southern Israel, Judah, didn't learn, and God brought in the Babylonian king. what didn't the people do? What didn't the they king didn't do? Re- they didn't they repent. They didn't repent. If yeah. they would have gotten on their knees and repented, yeah. things would have been dramatically different. I, I, I'm just saying that I agree. evil leaders can be the wrath of God to, they can. to get our attention. He, he will use them like he used Pharaoh. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. All right, here's a passage from Matthew chapter 22, verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And the question is, how did the guy get in the wedding who didn't have a wedding garment? Snuck in. But, you know, (laughs) I thought the question, Bill, was going to be, what was the wedding garment that he wasn't wearing that got him kicked out? And some some people say, well, that's the righteousness of Christ, and because he was not wearing the righteousness of Christ, he was kicked out. I believe that's all true. You need the righteousness of Christ to be clothed in, to be saved, but it never says that in that parable. So I think some of these things we just—I I was taught that you have to remember that almost all the parables, with a few exceptions, there's one point to the parable. Right, and it's in verse 14 there of Matthew 22. You know, for many are called— but few are chosen. That is, the invitation is wide, but a lot of people try to get in under their own power and their own ideas and their own way of doing it. Mm-hmm. But those that are chosen are the ones who have listened to the Lord Jesus, surrendered to him, and come in with his wedding garment, not ours. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. All right, here's uh, probably our last question, given the time we have left. When I pray and hear an inner voice or I get a strong impression, how can I accurately determine who I'm hearing? One of the things I always advise people to do is to tell other people they trust. So, you know, like when I worked with Tom here, I would talk to Tom about these things, and we would look at Scripture together to see if there was any validity. Did it line up with Scripture? That type of thing. And I learned a long time ago that if I wanted to be a leader, in my case, and this is for any Christian, if you want to represent the Lord, you better represent him accurately. And therefore, I was not going to repeat that until I had confirmation. And I even I had one person come in and say to me, you know, the Lord told me to sell my house and to give the money to some mission. And I said, okay, um, who else has confirmed that? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, is there another Christian that's come along and confirmed that? And he said, no. I said, well, why don't you wait till he does? Mm-hmm. And a week later, a week later, a Christian came to him out of the blue and said, I think the Lord would have you sell your house and do this. And he did, and it created a whole mission toward women. It was really good. Now, I've known people have done things like that and didn't get it confirmed, and they got burned. And I'm just saying, be super-duper careful. Yep. I mean, sometimes when I'm praying, 
I'll think of a person and I'll think, well, maybe the Lord wants me to call that person today and I'll do it. And sometimes it seems like, wow, that was right. But so much of this is kind of iffy. And I'll quickly share that I remember a Baptist pastor, a a five-year-old girl, we'll say, was dying in his church. They had a Wednesday night prayer meeting for her. They prayed God heal her. They had such a clear sense that the God was going to heal and save this little girl. And he said the next morning she was dead. Yeah. And he said, I have learned not to confuse my own strong emotions with the voice of the Holy Spirit. I think that's a good piece of advice. Well, one of the things, mm-hmm. real quick, Bill, the Lord generally doesn't tell us ahead of time the healing that's going to take place. He simply does it. And that's why I'm always careful with that. And that's why I don't, I'm very careful. One of the things we just talked about in the church I'm at, um, we have video feed that people can watch on YouTube, but we're going to have a praise service on Sunday and an opportunity for people to be healed. And I said, turn it off. I don't want that going out as a circus. We're not playing a game here. We're helping people with real needs, and if the Lord wants to heal, he'll heal, and if he doesn't, that's up to him. Yeah, you guys did a great job. Thank you so much. Thanks, go out Bill. And get Thank you, Bill. A so- go out and get yourself a soft-serve cone <laughs> at, your, at, at, at your expense. Oh, my. All right. Oh. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Todd Mulligan's going to join us. We're going to talk about personality disorders in our society today. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.